really glad that you're here this morning. As we take time to bring our awareness back to the space, prepare for um, our study of the Word, um, we want to recognize a significant tragedy that hit our community this week with the loss of Zach Stuckey. Um, you, you may not know Zach. Uh, he wasn't a member of this body, but he, he and his wife have worshipped with us uh, occasionally over the years. Um, his parents are friends of ours. They were some of the first people that Jane and I met when we moved to Northwest Arkansas 30 years ago. Uh, their business, Crown Beauty Bar, um, is a significant blessing to our community in that. Um, their son Everett is awesome. And, uh, and some of us don't know these people at all. Some of us, they're very dear friends. Uh, but they were significant members of our community. And this loss is going to take a while. Um, it's going to affect us in ways that will have repercussions for a lo very long time. So as we begin our call to worship, as we begin our worship this morning, what I would like to do is just create some space to acknowledge loss, to acknowledge grief. You don't have to have experienced it personally in this incident to enter into a time of reflecting on that. All of us grieve. All of us have loss. Whether it's someone who's lived a long and full life or whether it's someone whose life has been cut tragically short. So if you will, just sit for a moment in silence. And acknowledge the pain. Acknowledge the questions. And acknowledge the need for grace. You would stand with me as we speak these words of confession in our call to worship. I'll read the words that are up on the screen, and then we all read the ones together that are in bold. Grace Church, who is it that you seek? We seek the Lord our God. Do you seek God with all your heart? Amen. Lord, Do you seek God with all your soul? Do you seek God with all your mind? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you seek God with all your strength? Amen. Christ, mercy. God, the Holy Spirit, you have heard our confession. We confess it with what we have, acknowledging that that includes grief and ignorance, lack, 
But you take these things and bless them. You take these things and honor them because they originate with you. God, everything that we do today, everything that we sing, share, hear, confess, we offer to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. So, as many of you know, just it's been just a little over a week now where um, I returned from spending three weeks with a group of kids camping our way out to the West Coast and back. And uh, one of the things that I found interesting is that there is a phenomena that transfers out of the kitchen into the campground. And the phenomena, have, how many of you have experienced this where you go and you open the refrigerator door and you just stand there? It's like a trance, right? And it's almost like you don't know what to do. You've got a, you've got a hunger or you've got a yearning or you've got something. You end up just gravitating toward the refrigerator door and you open the door and stand there. I didn't realize it until this summer, but that actually transfers to the cooler, to the ice chest. I cannot tell you how many times I would come back to the campground and I would see one of the kids standing there with the cooler lid open, just staring into the cooler like it was going to be some magic something come out of it with that. Yeah, I just see people like those nods of recognition with that. Um, I, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I just want us to all imagine that feeling as we go into the text today. That thing of, okay, I'm kind of hungry, I'm kind of maybe bored, I, I don't know really what I need to do, so I'm just going to go open the refrigerator and stare at the contents of the refrigerator. I'm just going to go open the igloo and stare into the igloo with that. We get to our story today as this summer we're going through the story of the church in Acts. We're asking Acts questions. We're letting Acts, the people of the book, ask us questions as we go through here. And the question that Peter literally asks is he's hungry. And he's like, I don't even think he knows what he's hungry for. But we're going to see that. So last week we dove in. We saw this major shift in the action from Peter and the disciples in Jerusalem to Paul, and we talked about how, how much that changes things, but now we kind of take a step back, as, as all good stories do, we reconnect with the original characters, and we're back for a moment with Peter. But not just Peter, Peter's with some interesting characters. This is a very long section of scripture. It is one of the largest single stories in all of scripture, our text today. The Bible devotes more words to this story than just about any other single story in Scripture. So that ought to be the first thing that tells us that this is really, really important. The other thing that it does is that it repeats the story in multiple ways. It it puts it in the mouth of one person, then the mouth of another person, and it has different people basically conveying the same message. And it does this three times, which again, in our way of studying and understanding Scripture, we understand that if anything is repeated three times, it carries with it a weight that is significant. So this story that we're going to look at today, we need to approach it understanding that it is intended 
to be a mile marker, a cornerstone, something that we are to give special attention to, reverence to, place to with it. Well, let's jump in. And again, this summer we're using the message as a way of kind of working through the text a little bit different than we normally do, giving it a more narrative form, understanding we're going for understanding the big idea, understanding the overall scope of what's being said. And our big idea here is the kingdom of God is not limited by our prejudices, our ignorances, our assumptions, but God's table is endlessly large with this. And see if you, see if you can see where we pick up on this. So we're starting in chapter 9, verse 32. I'm going to read quickly, and we're going to stop to make a couple observations as we go. Peter went off on a mission to visit the, all the churches. In the course of his travels, he arrived in Lydia and met with the believers there. He came across a man, his name was Aeneas, who had been in bed eight years paralyzed. Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And he did it, jumping right out of bed. Everyone who lived in uh, Lydda and Sharon saw him walking around and woke up to the fact that God was alive and active among them. I love that, the way that he puts that. Woke up to the fact. It's not like God wasn't alive and active among them before. They just woke up to the fact. Down the road, away in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, gazelle. And I love Tabitha. That's the, the Aramaic or the Jewish version. Dorcas is the Greek. And I think they did her a favor by using Tabitha. Um, in, in our own language, she was well known for doing good and helping out. During the time Peter was in the area, she became sick and died. Her friends prepared the body for burial, put her in a cool room. Some of the disciples had heard that Peter was visiting in nearby Lydda, 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 I'm not sure on that one, and sent two men to ask if he would be so kind as to come over. Peter got right up and went with them. They took him into the room where Tabitha's body was laid out. Her old friends, most of them widows, were in the room mourning. They showed Peter pieces of clothing that the gazelle had made while she was with them. Peter put the wid widows all out of the room, knelt and prayed, and when he spoke directly to the body, Tabitha, get up. Echoes of Jesus' healing here. Hold on to that. She opened her eyes. She went and saw Peter. She, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He took her hands and helped her up. Then he called in the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. When this became known all over Joppa, many put their Many put them in great detail, everything that had just happened, and then sent them off to Joppa with that. Uh, so what we need to understand here, and what we're going to see repetitively through the New Testament, but especially in Acts, is that Peter, and then Paul, and then other members of the church are going to reenact the things that Jesus did. Like when you hear this Tabitha get up, what do we hear? We hear echoes of Jesus saying to Jairus, the synagogue leader's daughter, I tell you, get up, come forth. And so, again, when we see this in Scripture, when we see things being repeated, we need to, our ears need to perk up. Our minds need to be aware, alert to something is happening. And what we're going to see, what we've seen so far, we're going to continue to see, is that the things Jesus did are continuing to be done by Jesus but through Peter and Paul and the church and, by extension, are to be continued on being done by us with this. Now just hold that thought. Hold all your theological wrangling. Hold all your what-if questions and how does that work and why does it 
this way, just hold on to it. Let the story do its work. Let the trajectory of the story lead us before you start objecting and posing questions with that. Just know that that is what the intention and the flow of Scripture is headed towards. We'll see how that plays out as we go. So, um, oh, I got my pages out of order here. Right. Yes, they stayed in, that's why it sounded weird at the end. Peter stayed for a long time in Joppa as the guest of Simon the Tanner, right? So he did that. Now, we get into the next chapter, the next story. This is the story that has, that takes such length in Scripture. There was a man named Cornelius who lived in Caesarea, captain of the Italian guard stationed there. He was a thoroughly good man. He had led everyone in his house to live worshipfully before God, was always helping people in need, and had the habit of prayer. Okay, so Cornelius is a new character who's introduced, but we need to understand also he's still Roman. Romans are hated. Even though this is ascribing good attributes to him and things that he's doing, the early readers of the text would see this as Roman, okay, he's not a good guy. No matter what he's good he's doing, he's not necessarily, he's not one of us with that. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he was seeing things. Then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have been brought to God's attention. So here's what you are to, to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, who everyone calls Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is down by the sea. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two servants and one particular devout soldier from the guard. He went over with them in great detail everything that had just happened and then sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as the three travelers were approaching the town, Peter went out on the balcony to pray. It was about noon. Peter got hungry and was starting to think about lunch. Literally, Peter's like we do in front of the refrigerator. Like he's kind of opened the door. He's thinking, what do I want? What am I hungry for? What, am I, what, do, I, what do I need here? And while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, is Peter physically hungry here? Yes, he is. But there is also a deeper meaning here. I believe that the Spirit puts longings in all of us. That we don't, we don't understand what they are. We don't know where they lead. Like, we just know we're hungry. We just know we're longing and unfortunately, we could write a perverse history of how do we try to fulfill those longings with addictions and entertainments and things that ultimately don't satisfy. Just like when we go to the refrigerator and it's full of vegetables and we end up eating Twinkies or whatever it is. It is not just physical hunger that is moving Peter here. There is a deeper longing that is coming from God that he is going to fulfill. And in the fulfilling, the actual longing will be revealed for what it is. So Peter's in this trance. He saw the skies open up. Something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes on his four quarters, corners settled down to the ground. Every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. Then a voice came. Go to it, Peter. Kill and eat. Peter said, oh no, Lord, I've never tasted such food that was not kosher. Um, if you don't think this is important, go dig into Leviticus a little bit and then come back and tell me. 
Like, this is important stuff. You do not eat these things in this culture at this time. Peter would never have done that. And yet here the Spirit is saying something totally contrary to everything he's been taught with that. The voice came a second time. If God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times. Again, anything, anytime anything is repeated, three times. We need to pay special, give special significance to it. And then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. As Peter puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. They called in, asking if Simon was there. Simon, also called Peter, was staying there. Peter, lost in thought, I mean, he's seen this vision. He doesn't know what it means. It's crazy to him. So the spirit whispers to him, three men are knocking at the door. They're looking for you. Go down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Peter went down and said to the men, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? Peterson really takes license there. I love it. Uh, they said, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well known for his fair play, ask any Jew in this part of the country, was commanded by a holy angel to get you and bring you to his house so he could hear what you had to say. Peter invited them in and make them feel at home. Now, that may seem generous to us. That may seem natural that Peter would just say, hey, I got visitors here. Y'all come on in. No, 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 no. What we see here is that the message, the vision that Peter's saying is starting to take root and take effect. Jews do not, do not invite Gentiles in their house. Now, we talked a lot about this at the teaching meeting this week. Because in our culture, we are so used to rubbing elbows. Even if we don't like people of different cultures or political persuasions or backgrounds, we rub shoulders pretty easily with them. We go to a restaurant, we eat with people of all different kinds, of all different backgrounds with that. That would not happen in this context. That simply would not happen. The closest thing that I can think of um, here in the United States is if you went to a Hasidic Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, um, the feeling that you would get of, of just being shunned, of not being welcomed, of not being allowed, of not being allowed to enter into it. The closest feeling I've had is when I was, um, my visa was denied for India. And I was about to go in and, and I found out that I was, I was actually banned from going into the country with that. And as an American, someone who's used to, hey, I got an American passport, I'm doing good, I'm a good guy, I'm one of the good guys, right? Let me in, I'm here to do good things, right? Uh, being told, no, you're not welcome. And being unable to change their mind for anything. I, I can tell you it affected me on a level that I was totally unexpected for with that. But in this context, for Peter, still identifying, yes, as a follower of, Je of Jesus, but, but primarily culturally, historically, habitually as a Jew, to invite these Roman soldiers into the house was an incredible act of, cult, of breaking a cultural taboo or barrier with that. So we can see that something's happened in Peter. The next morning they got up and he went with them. Some of the friends of Joppa went along. A day later they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. 
had his relatives and close friends waiting for him. The minute Peter came through the door, Cornelius was up on his feet greeting him and went down on his face worshiping him. Peter pulled him up and said, none of that, I'm a man, only a man. And again, this just signifies the difference. Even though Cornelius is, yes, he's seeking God. Yes, he's trying to do good. He's still a pagan, y'all. He's still ready to just drop down and worship the next thing, idol God thing that comes along, even if it's Peter walking in. And why wouldn't he? An angel told him to go get the guy. I mean, that would, he's got good reason for doing this. Peter pulls him up, says, none of that. I'm a man, only a man, different from you. Talking things over, they went into the house where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. Peter addressed them. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this, visit and relax with people of another race. Again, talk about an understatement. This is a dramatic understatement. But then he goes and says, but God has shown me that no race is better than any other. Wait, what? We have, a, we have a cultural narrative in our country of the melting pot. We have a cultural narrative in our country that no race is better than the other, that we're all men are created equal. It's even, it's even enshrined, enshrined in our Constitution. But it doesn't take much to scratch below the surface and see how untrue that is lived, even in our culture. It doesn't take a lot of pressure. It doesn't take a lot of um, threat, of feeling threatened, for us to take these high-minded ideals and throw them out the window. These words are in the Bible. Equality of races, the idea that no one race is better than the other, no more entitled to anything privilege, is not an American idea. It is God's idea. It is God's intent. And it is God's purpose. This is not something that we can just adopt as a culture and then use when we like to you know, make our We Are the World videos and everybody gives a kumbaya and we do something nice for poor little brown people when they, have a, when they have a disaster somewhere else. But hey, when it comes to getting too close to home, when it comes to me and my stuff, then we can throw it out the window. We cannot do that, y'all. Again, these are not my words. These are not even the words of the American Constitution. This is God speaking. And what he shows Peter is so revolutionary that it is going to change the course of the world. And I believe change the world, change the course of all history. He says, but God has shown me that no race is better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked. And understand, he's talking about the vision that he saw. So we're not talking about food, okay? We're not talking about food when the blanket came down. He was looking in the refrigerator. He was yearning for something, but it wasn't something to eat. It was something bigger. And he recognized that. He recognized that when that sheet came down, it wasn't about, okay, it's okay to have a shrimp cocktail now. It's okay to put bacon on a hamburger. 
That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about this. The very tear at the fabric of humanity along racial lines was to be repaired and redeemed by the coming of Jesus. And it is core and essential to the, to the message of the gospel that there is no race better than the other. Cornelius goes through, he, he, re, he tells the whole story. And again, it's basically the same story gets told again, is what we see. Cornelius tells about how he saw the vision. Peter tells, tells about how he saw his. And then it goes on and he says, he says, Peter fairly exploded with his good news. I love the way he put it. It just blew his mind. It just changed everything in him. It was so powerful. It was so revolutionary. It was so world-changing. Then it said, Peter it fairly exploded with his good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. But God have mercy, we do. Forgive us, God. He goes on to say it makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. We are asking a lot of questions Culturally, we're asking a lot of questions as this church about what this means. And I, I think part of the reason we are so entrenched, part of the reasons why we're at such loggerheads in such ways is because we are not asking the right questions. We're not getting anywhere with the questions we're asking. And I think this story has a lot to speak to us. Us as a church, as, us as individuals, us, us as a culture. With all the messages that are coming up and all the things that we're seeing. You see, because the response, and I'm not going to read it verbatim here. You can, I, I encourage you to read it as part of your studies. The response of the church in Jerusalem was, All right then, let's get going. Let's bring all these Romans and Gentiles in here. Let's make this table big. Right? Come on, y'all. No. You've been around here long enough. No, the response was, Peter, what the heck? Dude, we got, we got word you were hanging out with the Romans. Now, we know that's not true, right? Like, like, I think they were willing to give him an out. To say, you know, we got the story wrong, right, brother? Right? And Peter's like, no, 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 no. You got the story right, and you, but you didn't get half of it. Let me tell you what else happened. The, the Holy Spirit fell on these guys. That same Holy Spirit that fell on us when we were in the room waiting on the thing. That the, 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 you remember the tongues and the fire and the 3,000 that came and speaking in their own languages and healing people and doing that. That same Holy Spirit came on the Romans. The idolaters, the oppressors, 
the unclean, the ones we're not even supposed to talk to, much less invite into our house, much less go into their house and eat with them. That, those people. And he did it while they were still... Cornelius fell down and worshipped me. Man, there's still a bunch of pagans. Uncircumcised, non-kosher, off-limit pagans. Holy Spirit fell on them. I didn't only eat with them, I baptized them. Scandalous. Scandalous with this. With what the implications were. Look, Peter had good reason to stay separate. The people of Israel, the the early church, the Pharisees, it's not like they just came up with that on their own. We have a testament, a whole testament. Most of the words in our Bible are actually in in what we call the Old Testament that outlines and gives rules and gives stories of why we should do things certain ways. Okay, They didn't just make this up. And God had his intention and purposes in doing that. But there is something new that has happened with the coming of Jesus that overrides that. That gives us a way of understanding it as redemptive and not restrictive. That gives us a way of honoring it and learning from it, but not being subject to it. Because the new thing now is that God is calling all people everywhere. God's table is bigger than we could ever imagine. There is an openness, a throwing open of the doors, and the overcoming of the tribal, racial, political, whatever divisions to bring us all together around this table, this ever-growing, ever-widening table. And the only restriction, the only pre-qualification for that is that God is calling that person. Period. Stop. End of sentence. Close the book. Now, there's another part to this. Because we, when we come to the table, we don't leave the same person. God is doing things in all of us. If we are responding to God, we are being changed. And that change is painful. That change requires not just a little, but everything from all of us. It doesn't matter if we fit the cultural norms or we don't. All of us submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus. And our response is willingness to do whatever, whenever, however God says. But that's after we're in. That is not the prerequisite to get in. And that is a huge difference. I've... Y'all, this... I feel like all my life, this thing has been working in me. It's like all my life I've been standing in front of the refrigerator hungry for something. Longing for something. Trying to understand this thing that I, that I, can't, I can't be settled without. 
I can't be satisfied without. And, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not confident in the words yet even to say it. Like, I'm not, I'm not even confident that right now I have the words to say it. But the way that it's come out this week is me asking this question. What if instead of the questions we're asking, we asked this question? What if the gospel were true? What if instead of all the questions about who's in, who's out, what do we do, how do we do this, what's right, what's wrong, those are important questions, y'all. Please hear me say, those are very important questions that we do need answers, we do need to make decisions on. But what if we started, what if we started with this? What if the gospel is true? Because I think that's what, that's what was working in Peter. He was hungry for something. He had this longing. He had heard the, the gospel. He had walked with Jesus. He had seen the crucifixion, experienced the resurrection. He had been with the church. He had seen the Holy Spirit come. And yet there was still something working in him, something that wouldn't let him be satisfied, something that wouldn't let him rest. And he's up and he's praying and he sees this thing. And all of a sudden, even though it's... it's it's not verbatim in here. I, I think it's like the gospel is true. I think his revelation when he saw the Holy Spirit come on the Romans, he's like, it's true. It's true. God doesn't prefer any race. It's true. It was the answer. And when he saw the answer, then it helped him understand what the question was. It's like when we have that meal, we don't know what we're hungry for, and then we eat it. And usually for me, it's tacos, right? <laughs> It's like, yes, that's what I was hungry for. <laughs> tacos, tacos are the answer to the question that I didn't know that I was asking, right? That'd make a great t-shirt right there. Um, this was the answer that Peter was hungry for. This was the answer that the church was hungry for. Y'all, this is the answer that the world is hungry for right now. This is the answer that the world is hungry for. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we transition here. So at Grace Church, um, our table is open to everyone who is seeking Jesus, who is willing to seek God, to follow God, to know God, who wants to know God. Even if it's just the smallest part of you that wants to know God, you're welcome at this table. Um, we take communion. We don't dismiss by rows. You come up as you're ready. But we are this summer. I'm asking people, we're asking people that if you take the elements and you just sit close and then we'll, we'll take them all together as a, as a body. So you come up, you grab them, take the elements, go back, sit close, hold them. We'll take them together. After that, we'll take up an offering. We do that as sign and symbol that everyone here has something to give and no one here is without a need. So we share with one another as part of our worship. It's also time for you to pray and reflect. I don't expect you to believe me because I have a microphone. This message, everything that's said, is for you to consider with the Holy Spirit in the context of your grace group. 
the context of your personal devotion. If you want to have further dialogue about it, I'm open to that, as always. But don't believe me just because I said it. Make it your truth. And then act on it. Don't just let it wash over, but act on it. If it's real, if it's real, you need to act on it with that.